you've worked a lot with the, the miniature tradition. Despite its size, it has very grand implications. Um, so uh, on one hand, I think the, the miniature tradition allows you to develop a content, um, which is the sort of mythic dimension. And on the other hand, there's kind of a form. Let's talk about the content a little bit and, and the way in which you process that content. How do you um, approach that kind of material in your work? What is your process like for um, thinking about the sort of mythic content of history and trying to bring that forward in um, contemporary art? I think when I started engaging with miniature painting, it was already out of a desire not to be nostalgic. Mm -hmm. It was very objective engagement. And it had so much complex social um, context. It was not necessarily um, something that was popular or prevalent. Mm -hmm. It, it had a function primarily in the tourist um, um, imagery in the market available for kind of a kitsch consumption. Okay. So, so that informed, I guess, my interest in it, that it was something that had, for me, viability and something that I, would, uh, I wanted to understand better right. and engage and learn more of its historical context. So. But at the same time, its application required learning the craft. Right. So, you know, one inherited all this sort of um, relationship to, to the complex relationship to craft, um, excessive amount of, um, of specificity in, in a certain language. And, and how do you negotiate all of that and, and use it as a, as a for, for contemporary expression, for personal expression, right. and how do you break those boundaries and work with those confinements? So I think just that premise in of itself was um, interesting, that it came with a certain set of rules, and when you are presented with a very precise set of rules, the intent is to um, break those rules, right. or put, pull them apart. And so in, I think for me, that sentiment is where I situate my relationship hmm. to miniature painting. So in a way, you, um, you master the tradition as a process of mastering the craft. I, I think you have to also understand that this was in Pakistan, and so it was being already provided with a certain set of um, a certain specificity in a situation. Mm -hmm. The miniature painting department had one person teaching, mm -hmm. and so you had to learn how to <laughs> um, to learn the craft. Right. So it was right. it was not separated from the craft. Okay. But the interest that I um, had was enough that I went through and learned the craft. But I was always interested in it as a more of a conceptual activity. I mean, it's clear um, from the works you showed that you've managed to, to take that translation of the craft and um, uh, make it your own in a variety of ways. Um, one way is 
um, the sort of multi-registration, multiple registration within the ink drawings themselves, right? So that you mm -hmm. see a number of different figures converging in a single space, right? You're sort of breaking the mm -hmm. laws of physics, more or less, right? It's sort of two objects can't occupy the same space at the same time, but in art, of course, they can. But I'm also curious about the way you um, tease that out into a digital domain, right? Because on, on another, on, on some level, we think of um, uh, digital projections and, and you know, multi-channel videos as a world away from the sort of the handmade um, kinds of works that you do with the, the ink drawing. So, um, how uh, how do you see those working together? And, and what is your experience in terms of translating from the small, um, intimate to the huge projected? I think um, the, the technology is changing so rapidly, and it's just been very exciting because accessibility to better technology is, is easy now. And you see in a totally different relationship to, to the quality. So if you, uh, like for the recent multi-channel work that I did, the, it didn't even matter if a 10-inch drawing was uh, finally you know, seen at um, 60 feet. Right. It did. It was no longer about the transformation of the drawn into the digital. It was a independent right. um, relationship that you created with the work, and I think um, that was what I was very interested. No longer just the relationship between the, the the tactile nature of the drawing and how it should translate its its sensibility into the digital, but the digital being compelling enough for it to be divorced from its uh, original source. And, and, and that, I think, um, is hugely dependent on, on the type of projectors. <laughs> <laughs> you would access right, like right. a 40,000 lumens projector you right. is n not your average you know, HD projector. Looking in a little bit more detail at the work that you did for the exhibition upstairs, and I hope that many of you have had a chance to see the exhibition and, and see uh, Shazia's work hanging right next to one of you know, SF MoMA's star paintings. It's Jackson Pollock. Um, but the, uh, you know, I think, you know, Shazia does pretty good next to Jackson Pollock, actually. <laughs> Um, but the, this piece, uh, uh, Sensei, Narrative is Dissolution Number 2, is one of the big works that you did um, around this Laotian epic, the Song Sensei, from the 17th century. Um, it, it's really interesting to me that I know, you know, as you said in your lecture, you spent time in Laos, um, uh, multiple visits in 2005 and 2006, um, and yet in depicting this, um, this poem, um, uh, you you chose to work in this language that's that's not one that's your it's not one that you were already familiar with right um, uh, so uh, can you uh, tell me about uh, tell us about that um, how how did you become interested in this mythic poem um, and and why did you select this for a work I think the interest in the poem was really I am interested in general in poetry mm -hmm. and. The soul of a space is often captured in the poetry, but going traveling and visiting Laos, I did uh, what was very interesting for me was that there was a very strong visual language in the murals within the temples. And a lot of it was visually familiar because it had a, a connection to 
the stylization that happens in uh, certain illustrated illustrations in miniature painting, mm. and and yet completely unfamiliar in terms of its um, narrative, and there was no availability of the narrative around mm. in terms of books or critique or anything, and a very familiar process for me in my own journey because, uh, again, interest in miniature painting was through printed um, catalogs by Western institutions, okay. but not necessarily by, you know, looking at miniature paintings because they don't exist there. A few mm. are, in, handful are in the local museum, but majority of it is in Western institutions. So this sort of uh, roundabout method of understanding the content is familiar, you know. Mm. Um, some of the narrative around Sinsai was oral, so the, so the interest in the oral tradition also mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. came about, and then a lot of it is in French, so it um, already has its own translation. Right. So interest in translation, interest in language, my own relationship to Urdu language, in terms of growing up uh, with this, uh, uh, you know, um, in Pakistan with its all very deeply entrenched colonial history, how you switch back and forth, uh, what it means to be um, expressive in English, and the, the uh, medium of instruction being English, and how you compensate uh, Urdu in relationship to English, um, lack of a good foundation, like in my instance, I, I don't speak Urdu really well, or it's very just spoken, but mm -hmm. not, you know, to understand poetry, you require translation in English. So again, understanding Arabic is limited, it's only an ability is fluid, like I can read it. Again, a ritual of reading Arabic, but with no understanding. So this, there have multiple instances in my own experience of how I, engage with the language and how even the engagement with miniature painting for me was in understanding miniature painting as a language which defied um, a translation. Hmm. It's untranslatable. It's so in, in, in that respect, the, it's very insular. Right. And that how do you engage with that? It becomes a very provocative situation. Like how can then you use something which defies translation and and how do you own it in the process? Uh, that's really interesting because you spoke about translation a couple of times, several times in your talk and, and it was clear that this is a thematic which is very important for you. Um, this helps me start to grasp a little better how many different passes around translation you've made in terms of the various languages that you are um, familiar with, that you know, and yet the way in which meaning um, it does not always come about as a result of translation, but um, a kind of uh, recognition or realization, perhaps, you know, that you ar arrive at um, as a process of um, translation. Um, in other words, I guess, we think of translation as making things clearer, but the way you talk about it, it seems that it doesn't. <laughs> it well, sort of makes us, makes us I, think again think about what we think we know. Well, also inherent is this interest in copying, like, you know, miniature painting also had in its um, um, uh, the sort of like you copied to learn 
from mm -hmm. the master. Mm -hmm. Or you, the inherent notion of copying was very much another uh, drawback or that was at that con like when right. I first started engaging with miniature painting, would, it was assumed that it would be about copying tradition. Right. What is tradition? How do you define what is tradition? How do you give it a relationship in time? You know, is tradition um, a concept? And then the relationship to tradition is the, the, the translation mm -hmm. of that tradition and mm -hmm. the distance between um, your relationship to that uh, original. And then how does the translation become original? And when, at, when, at what point does the translation become original? So it, it's a very, it's, a, it's less about, um, it's not about obscuring meaning either. Right. But it's definitely not that literal about clarifying or providing answers for everything. It's more about like engaging with um, a variety of contexts and keeping the the whole um, narrative open-ended and with with a variety of perspectives. Right. Right. And hence the the narrative as um, dissolution. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And the way in which, uh, in some sense, um, that process of dissolving that we see in the picture um, is, uh, is a sort of metaphor for, for other processes, um, which are, some of which are artistic, um, i.e., you know, letters dissolve um, into shapes and forms, um, but also uh, cultural or, or even social, right, in the sense of, um, you know, thinking about the way um, you know, language has both you know, sort of form and, and meaning, um, but also the way one approaches a foreign language and what that requires to learn a foreign language and um, how one comes, becomes familiar in some sense with oneself by um, discovering something that's outside, I suppose. So w the question I guess I have is, is this, does this sort of signal in your work um, uh, these broader issues of say transnationalism um, uh, traveling from one place to another, being feeling um, uh, foreign in the, whatever place you may find yourself. I think so. I think um, there's definitely this um, um, tension mm -hmm. that, despite the mobility and being in different places, you sometimes, you know, unfortunately, are ca can be seen only in a certain way. Right. And I think um, it is this topic of, of uh, transnationalism and global versus local is is very charged and and a very interesting um, place to examine because um, for all these reasons, like what is local and what is global, is right. how authentic is local? Like local for me is is pretty contaminated also. Right. <laughs> and then, and yet, as kind of this notion of transnationalism, what exactly, you know, um, gets translated or how much, um, you know, um, just by the ability to be mobile, you can claim ownership in multiple situations or locations. Right. Uh, you know, uh, it's very fluid. I think it's very current. This this premise, as more and more work engages multiple aesthetics and challenges languages and 
the premises to come up with uh, more un unorthodox languages. Right. But the sentiment is there that art is at, the, at that particular interface often. Right. Artists are. It's interesting because w one of the things I thought was very interesting about your talk is you said that the text, there's two kinds of text, the text that informs um, and the text that becomes a vehicle of the work, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and in some sense, um, uh, what's really fascinating to me about your work is that it's sort of the convergence of these two, right? And on one hand, um, there is the Sinsai, right? There is the Laotian text. Um, and yet, in some sense, the, the text that emerges from your work um, seems to be um, a different, uh, in other words, it's giving us a different message, right? It's a different kind of text, and it comes out of what you're doing as opposed to um, you're illustrating it, right? You're, in some sense, generating it. Yeah, I think, um, again, if choosing to focus on Sinsai is such an immense um, concept, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. The intent is, was never to illustrate it. Right. Illustrated page or a chapter, it was really not about illustrating Sinsai, but it was really about um, creating kind of a relationship to it mm -hmm. and through, through, through the means of language. And for me to look at Laotian text was not that different at looking at even Urdu text, which I understand and write and right. have a experience with the calligraphy. It was really, so in that respect, it is engaging with design, mm. you know. That's interesting. It's like, it does cross that border too. Like I am interested in, in when the text becomes the image itself. 